0: Today I want us to look at encouraging one another. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, the book of Acts uh, uh, chapter nine. So Hebrews 10 and uh, Acts nine. We've been talking about intimacy growing closer to one another. And last week I, I, I shared a diagram with you of moving into those levels, those deeper levels of intimacy. And as we push through that wall of conflict, that one that we tend to shy away from, you know, we, we start to have, you know, feel a little awkward and there's some disagreements and what do we do? We, we tend to back up, back away from that intimacy. Instead, we're encouraged to move through those and move past and work those things out. Forgiveness is a big part of that. Moving into those deeper areas and deeper levels of intimacy. Uh, honesty and honor, two very important uh, things. Speaking the truth in love, right? And uh, we get to a place of met needs, you know, Acts chapter 2, where um, we have this picture of the New Testament church. They were in one accord. They were together. They had things in common. They shared. They were met needs. That's uh, the, the epitome of intimacy, the epitome of, of community, and that's what we're called to. Well, the writer of the Hebrews in, in chapter 10, starting verse 19, just have a, a snippet from verse 19. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters... Once again, just instilling this this premise that we're community, we're we're family, we're in this house together. And the writer to the Hebrews says, Dear brothers and sisters, and jump down to verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another toward acts of love and good works. Let's think about this. Give it some time, give it some thought. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. But hear this this is important the writer saying. Encourage one another, especially now as the day of Christ's return is drawing near. I want you to think of ways. Come up with some ideas. Uh, chances are you've bought a gift for someone in the last six months or last year. Uh, chances are you didn't just go and grab something in the, in the impulse uh, line at the, at the grocery stores. You're going, hey, uh, you know, bag of M&M's. You know, hey, they'll like M&M's. No, chances are you thought about it. This person, whose birthday it is, or whose anniversary it is, or it's Mother's Day, you know, what do they like? And you thought about it, and you thought, okay, if I pick this, will that bless them or not? And so you thought about it. This is what the writer is saying. Think about ways that you can encourage one another, ways that you can spur one another on to do the same toward love and good deeds. The writer says, create an environment where everyone is overflowing with this, with this attitude and these actions, acts of love and good work. Spend time on this. This is a very important. At the same time, we're, we're called to encourage one another. At Crossroads, we, we say that everyone matters. We say that, that we are created for community and in this community, we are others-centered, It's what it's all about. How do we bless one another? How do we honor one another even with our words? And you get thinking, oh, yeah, this is real easy. Uh, Encourage one another. This isn't as hard as forgive one another. This isn't as hard as love one another, even though that person at times is questionably lovable. Uh, Encourage, this should be the easy one. Well, Well, why isn't it done so much? It really isn't that easy, is it? Um, growing up, I, I have two older brothers and uh, we were very competitive. And so I, by nature, I was just a very competitive individual. Well, I'd compete with them, but I'd compete with everyone. We had this next door neighbor girl. Uh, she was our, uh, my age, uh, same class together in school. And uh, she was a baton twirler. So uh, how many were baton twirlers? There was about three in the first uh, service. Baton twirlers, it's a lost art. (laughs) But uh, I I would look at uh, LaVonne, our next door neighbor, uh, and she was twirling this baton. And I'm like, that's easy. That's easy. And I kind of mock her. Uh, That's easy. Why don't you get a real sport? You know, I wasn't quite that mean but anyway so one day she bows up and she goes oh yeah you think it's so easy and she throws it at me I'm like I'll show her so I grabbed this baton and man I'm like hitting myself and you know, throwing it up in the air it's hitting the roof getting caught in trees I learned right away baton twirling is hard it looks easy but it's hard she also had hula hoops and, and you know she'd get up and she'd start spinning these hula hoops around I go that's easy Goes, you think it's so easy? You try it. And I, and it me hula hooping is worse than me dancing, okay? I, I, it doesn't even get one time around before it's on the ground. And, and hula hooping is hard. Encouraging is not easy, it's hard. And I believe that James in his writing provides some hints as to why it's hard. Why it's hard? I believe it's hard because encouraging requires words. Encouraging requires us to use our mouths. Take a look at what James says about our mouths, particularly our words. James chapter 3, verse verse 6. It says, And among all of the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body? It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. That doesn't sound uh, very <laughs> encouraging. That doesn't found, sound very flowery. That doesn't sound very very peaceful and tranquil. You know, we talked about our happy places, or you know, the favorite things that we like. This isn't a favorite thing. It says our tongues set things on fire. I like to think that I'm a, I'm a real awesome dad, but there are times where fire comes out of my mouth. I like to think that I'm a very awesome husband, very encouraging, very, but there are times fire comes out of my mouth. Even around here, just ask Pastor Barry, Pastor Elaine, Pastor Luke, Pastor Beth. There are times fire comes out of my mouth. I don't mean for it to come out, but it does. Words. You see, it's human nature. Proverbs 18, Solomon says, the tongue has the power of life and death. We can kill people with our words. James says it sets fires with our tongues. He says, we praise our Lord with our tongue and yet we curse people who are created in the very image of God with our words. So we look at encouragement and we go, oh, it's easy. But yet, no, it, it's hard. It's hard. James 3.10, he says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This is not right. Don't let this happen. Think about it. Take action. Because it's difficult, it's hard. It doesn't come easy. I venture to say it's even harder than hula hooping and baton twirling. But there's some other factors that it's not just our mouths that go along with this human nature. I believe one of the big ones as well is is self, pride, vanity. It's me, the the world of me. I like me some me. One of our elders, Todd Park, says a lot about uh, observation. his observations of, of people around. Oh, that person likes them some me. You ever met one of those people who likes them, you know? I think we all like me, you know, some me, right? It's human nature. Me first, my own needs. Um, you ever have those popsicles back, uh, they don't do these nowadays, at least I don't think so, but the, the the popsicles with the two sticks, and, you know, it's one popsicle, but two sticks, and my mom would would always do this. She'd like take them and hit them over the side of a table and break them in half. And she'd say, "Now let's give half to your brother. I'm like, no. (laughs) You know, nowadays they've broken them for you and you get the ones that's like, no, (laughs) like they're supposed to be together. And I get both sides, right? (laughs) I don't know if the popsicle people, hey, let's get kids to share. Let's teach them a lesson. They can break them in half and give one to a friend. Like, no, they're both for me. It's all about self, it's all about me, right? That gets in the way of encouragement. How about fear? Fear. Now, fear is one of those things, that, man, it permeates through a lot of parts of our lives. Fear of being left behind, fear of missing out, fear of the unknown, fear of being different. Why don't we encourage another person? Because if we encourage them, that lifts them up and it puts us down, Right? That's the thinking. We're afraid that it will put us down. It'll make us lower. Do a little experiment. Go out to a a ball field when little kids are playing and don't watch the game. Watch the parents, okay? You wanna get a little bit of this, the fear? And we want what's best for our kids, right? We want them to succeed. We want them to, to uh, have the best opportunity. We want them to, we don't want other people's kids to get the breaks. Why? Because if their kids get the breaks, that means our kids ride in the pine. And if, if their kids are being honored, our kids are being dishonored. And if their kids are being, and so what do we do? We, we withhold from that and, and we, out of fear, Right? I'm not going to celebrate that family. I'm not going to celebrate that person. I'm not going to celebrate that kid. Why? Because I have to protect what's mine. Getting right into our living room, aren't we? Fear. If that person succeeds, I won't. If that person is honored, I won't be. Fear of ridicule, fear of looking stupid, fear of getting hurt. Another one I believe is, is so you, you have me, you have, un, you have uh, fear. I believe another one's unconfessed sin. Sin in our life interrupts our ability to encourage other people. And here's, here's why, because when we got stuff going in our life, our, our stuff becomes the stuff. And our stuff becomes the focus. And our mess becomes the focus of our minds and our hearts. And, and we can't look outward when we're looking inward. And, and when there's junk inside that's unconfessed and undealt with, we can't lift our eyes to other people. It gets in the way. It, it locks us up. It immobilizes us, and we become paralyzed with sin. We get so, so caught up in our own junk. We can't for a minute look to anyone else's success, or even failures. Yet we're called to overcome. Especially in the community of faith, we're called to love one another, we're called to forgive one another, we're we're called to dig deeper into intimacy, we're we're called to push on through the conflict, We're, we're, we're called to overcome fear, we're called to set it aside and encourage one another. And I believe there's a fantastic illustration and description of this in the New Testament church, of how this took place. See, in the book of Acts, it's, it's, a, it's a story of the birth of the, of the church and, and how awesome it was and yet it was messy and it was full of people and, and they had different backgrounds and different settings and different upbringings and, and different loves and different hates and different likes and different dislikes and, and, and yet they came together. And there's one story that we're told where the disciples were together and they were hanging out and they were in fact a little fearful because you see at that time there was a lot of persecution. People, particularly the religious group, of the Jews, they didn't like this new movement of Christ followers, and they wanted to exterminate them, they wanted to do away with them, they wanted to put them down or get rid of them, and there's this guy named Saul, we know him today as his new name, Paul, but Saul of Tarsus, we're told, was on his way to look for Christ followers, on his way to look for people who were following Christ, and to eliminate them, He was a killer. He was a murderer. And yet, he had a life change. You see, he had an encounter with Christ. His life was changed, and he was no longer a murderer. He was no longer a killer, but now he was an evangelist. Now he was a preacher. Now he was a pastor. Now he was a Christian. He'd experienced a change in his life, but if the story has it that these disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem and they're in this room and they hear of this transformation that has taken place in enemy number one, Saul of Tarsus. And they're kind of scratching their heads going, hmm, what's going on here? Because they think he's a spy. They think he's, he's up to his schemings. They think he's up to something. And in some ways he's using this as a plot to get into their circle and to eliminate them, and they're they're fearful, they're afraid. Got doors locked, and they're wearing disguises, you know, the glasses and the fake mustaches, and they you know they don't want to be seen. So they're a dilemma here. Here, Paul's had a conversion experience, and here are Christ followers going. I don't know. But there's a breakthrough. And take a look at Acts chapter nine. It says, Saul arrived in Jerusalem. And when he did, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. I love verse 27, the first two words. Then Barnabas... You ever come to a point where you realize that someone's got to do something? You're at an impasse, someone has to move, something has to happen, you know, you get to a four-way stop and four cars come and everyone's going, you know, we're all Texans and we're like, hey, uh, you know, you go, for, no, you go, uh, no, I'll wait, you go first and four cars sit there for five minutes. <laughs> no, you go, and there comes a point where just someone's got to go. Well, here they were, they are at an impasse four-way stop, four cars. And then Barnabas goes, you know what? Come on guys, someone's gotta do something. It says, then Barnabas brought him, that is Saul, to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on his way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus of Damascus. or or, yeah, Jesus in Damascus. Saul was out persecuting believers. Disciples were afraid. You see, they were afraid because Saul might hurt them. That was fear. They were also afraid, I believe, of hanging out with Saul because of what it might do to their reputation. Ever thought about that? What will the others think if I'm hanging out with Saul of Tarsus? Oh, that's that's not good for my resume. That's not good for my reputation. So there was the self and the pride and the vanity to go along with it too. It says, then Barnabas, then Barnabas. He goes, okay guys, somebody's got to break this impasse. Somebody's got to break it through and it's going to be me. You see, Barnabas was a Jew. He was a Levite. He was born on the island of Cyprus. And it says that his name, we're told that his name was not Originally, he wasn't born with the name Barnabas. He was actually born by the name Joseph. That was his given name. But he had a conversion experience. And he was brought into this community of faith that we know of the New Testament church. And and we know that that from Acts 2, that this was a community of people who were one accord and they they shared things together and they were experiencing the presence of the Lord and and awesome things were happening in their midst. They were together and they they were doing one another very well. And it says that as a result of this, this conversion, just like Saul's name was changed to Paul, Joseph wasn't any different. His name was changed because God was doing something amazing in his life and his name was changed to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. You see, it was a result of community, it was the result of God stirring his heart for him getting together with people and him deliberately saying, I'm moving past point one to point two, I'm moving through this wall of conflict and I'm moving to honesty and honor and I'm moving to this place of met needs and I'm gonna serve people and I'm gonna meet needs and I'm gonna be a person of encouragement. And his name was changed accordingly to Barnabas, son of encouragement. And we read on. It says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just vouching for Paul and it wasn't just this good deed of going and saying, hey, Here's my buddy, Paul. He's legit. It went beyond that. You think about, if you read on the story of Barnabas, it says that he and Paul, uh, well, first of all, uh, Barnabas was an evangelist on his own. Um, Very influential. Many people, uh, their lives changed, surrendered to Christ under his ministry. Uh, He could have gone at it on his own. He really could have. But not only did he bring Paul into this group and, and vouch for him and say, hey, He's legit, but he invited Paul to come on missionary journeys with him. We know them as Paul's missionary journeys, but in reality, the first one was was Barnabas' missionary journey. You think about that. Here he was willing to bring along somebody who might upstage him, who might get more notoriety, who might get a little bit more glory than him. He was willing to do that. He saw something in in Paul that Paul probably didn't even think of himself. Brought him along. Ministered with Paul for a year in Antioch. It says that in Antioch, that's where believers were first called Christians under their ministry together. We're told after that that they were going on a missionary journey and and Barnabas said, you know what? I want to take John Mark with me. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. no. I had an experience with John Mark once before. This little punk kid who, you know, he, he really is struggling with commitments and I just can't afford somebody without commitments. And, and, and Barnabas saw something in John Mark that Paul didn't even. He says, you know what? I'm gonna take John Mark with me. And we're told in scripture that, that Barnabas and, and Paul part ways. Amazing thing is Luke, the writer, follows Paul and Silas instead of Barnabas and John Mark. And the rest of the book of Acts is Luke's account of whose ministry? Paul's, not Barnabas. Barnabas encouraging John Mark in essence really cost him. You know, we could be reading the letters of Barnabas to the church, but instead we're, reading Paul's letters to the church. And I don't think Barnabas was too upset about that. Come back around and years later, Paul and Barnabas renew their acquaintance and so much so that Paul even sees the value of John Mark at that point. Paul comes around and begins to see things the way that Barnabas saw years earlier. Encouragement. Supporting, honoring, exalting someone else above us. It's not all about our upward mobility, it's about us encouraging others' upward mobility, and that's what Barnabas did. Ongoing, persistent lifestyle of encouragement, profound effect, people he touched. When I was a kid, I had, uh, I had some labels put on me. Um, one, I was known as the rambunctious child. Now, who uses rambunctious in a sentence? Like, that, that if anything, is a label. Oh, Darren, yeah, he's the rambunctious, he's the Embry boys, uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, you got Glenn, you got Jim, and then the rambunctious kid. See, I can't even say it. The rambunctious kid. Oh, he's the hyperactive kid. He's a kid who can't pay attention longer than five minutes. And and, man, if anyone is not gonna amount to anything, it's gonna be him, right? So I start to wear that. I start to live that out. I start to just make that a part of my life. Not deliberately, but that's my name. And if that's my name, and if that's the way people are treating me, I guess that's my lot in life, right? Until one day. And someone comes up to me and says, Darren, you're more than that, you're more than that. You're more than what you're doing. You're more than that label. God's got a plan for your life and I believe in you. Truth cuts through the lies. In encouragement, truth cuts through the lies and I get to know who I am and whose I am and, and what my destiny is. One person and then another and then another and then another continue to encourage and I'm here today because of those people. Someone who is willing to say, okay, enough of this looking at each other at a four-way stop, I'm moving. Another poignant, life-changing moment of encouragement came from people I don't even know and will probably never see again, this side of heaven. Um, I was 34, 35 at the time, and I came up with this, just this passion and this desire to run a marathon. I'd, I'd run all my life, uh, distance running in high school and little in college and and I just felt, I want to run a marathon before I turned 40. This was back, I was about 34, 35. So um, 16 weeks, you know, Googled it. And uh, hey, how do you run a marathon? 16 weeks of training, we got a book. And, and so I start reading through the book, following the plan. 16 weeks and Chicago Marathon comes up. Um, Chicago Marathon, 35,000 runners, um, one point, estimated 1.2 million spectators along the route, 26.2 miles. And they, they, they estimate that, at, at, I, I believe it, because there isn't a, uh, a section of that route that doesn't have crowds two or three deep the whole way. And they encourage you to, I I was so glad that uh, I found this out before I ran because they encourage you to write your name on your shirt. And so I put put some some cloth tape and I wrote, you know, in in Sharpie, I wrote my name. And I tell you, that race was a spiritual experience for me. I probably cried more than half a dozen times as I'm running that, that race and I'm running that marathon. People I don't know never met Never will meet. Along that route, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people looking me in the eyes. I'm running past, saying, Darren, you can do it. Go, Darren. Go, Darren, you can do it. You can do it. You know, not one person along that line said, you know what, your pace is kind of, you know, off. Man, your your gait and you, you know, your arms are doing these really crazy things. You gotta fix that. Not one said that. Not one said, you're looking tired. Man, you look awful. You should just stop. There wasn't one person that said, why don't you just quit? Why do we do that in the church? Why do we do that in the church? 1.2 million people and not one said, you idiot, Stop. Shame on us. Keep going. You see, because encouragement reminds us of our destiny, encouragement reminds us of what God's called us to, what we're here for. Keep going, go at it. You can do it. And I tell you, I got to the end of that race. I was dead, not dead, but I was dead. And uh, Dana comes up to me and as a spectator, she'd experienced that same thing and she grabbed me and she said, we're doing this next year. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, can we talk about it next week? <laughs> you know? And she went on to run three marathons because you have people sitting there going, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Reminding you of your destiny. Encouragement. You can do it. Barnabas' main priority in life, his core understanding, was Christ is bigger. I'm smaller. Others are bigger. I'm smaller. See, God's economy says, I can honor people. I can give all of the honor to other people and I don't lose honor. I can give all of my honor away and in fact, I get more honor. It's just this economy. See, our economy here in, in Western culture is if I give something away, I don't have it anymore. But God's economy says, you know what? We give and it's an endless supply because we keep having more and more and more and more and more and more. And more. We, we, we can't give away more. Than we have. I believe that this one event in Paul's life, and it all began with Barnabas saying enough's enough, and he goes out and grabs Paul and he brings him into that, that room. That one event changed Paul's life transformed his life maybe almost as much as his encounter on the road to damascus and i believe that that event was what he had in his mind when he penned philippians 2 take a look at philippians 2 probably had barnabas in his mind as he was sitting out there wondering why everyone was pointing a finger at him going i wonder if he's really changed and then all of a sudden he sees this image of a person walking up to him and saying, hey, my name's Barnabas. Why don't you come with me? You can do it. You can do it. God's got more for your life than sitting here wondering why. Philippians 2 says, are your, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Are your hearts tender and compassionate then make my Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. There in one verse you have each other, one another, and together. You think he's onto something? Each other, one another, together. Each other, one another, together. It's like, come on, community, right? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Notice it says, don't think of others as equal to yourselves. Don't think of others as, "Eh, they can can keep up with you. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. One writer says, you know, out of all of these great apostles and prophets and that, Barnabas was probably the one who was most Christ-like not thinking of his own interests, but looking to the interests of others. I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to think of times along the way that you've been encouraged, how it changed and transformed your life. I had somebody this weekend, I was at a conference and they came up to me and said, I just really love your smile. It's like you have the joy of the Lord in you. And I was like, wow. That's really cool. I didn't even think I was smiling. This came in and it just encouraged me. I can really tell you, you have the joy of the Lord inside of you. Think of those times that people have encouraged you. I want you to think of some people you can encourage. Some people who you can reach out to. Maybe some people who you've been more critical of in the past that you've had their well-being in mind, but instead of being encouraging, you've, you've been critical. I give you permission to try this and make mistakes. It's messy talked last week about uh, how sometimes families and churches and life groups and that can get messy. Why? Because we're, we're people. But what I love about Crossroads, what I love about the family of God, what I love about this place is that we can make mistakes, we can trip, we can fall flat on our face, and we're, we're just trying. Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and responding not just looking at each other at a four-way stop and wondering what to do. Not that you need it, but I give you permission this week to make the first move. Encourage someone, but not just off the cuff, but instead look for ways, think about it. Just make that a prayer. Lord, help me to be encouraging. Lord, show me somebody, even today, that I can encourage. Pray it would be genuine. I pray it would be life-changing. Lord, forgive me those times where I've been critical. Those times when my tongue has been fire. I don't want that anymore, Lord. I pray you'd renew me. And just like Joseph, you'd give me a new name, son of encouragement, daughter of encouragement. I pray that that would be a defining factor in my life from this point forward. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm inviting you to stand.